sneaking into the World Health Summit. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. October 16th through to the 18th, the World Health Summit took place in Berlin, Germany, and this was sort of put together with the World Health Organization and all the people who have said and done all the things to make politicians and public health bureaucrats control your lives over the last two years. Well, they were gathered for their fancy parties and their get-togethers behind closed doors in the German city. But... Rebel News sent a team of five journalists there, and they were able to get into the conference, and they had to get a little bit creative. They were even able to put a question to the head of the World Health Organization, Tedros. So joining me today is Drea Humphrey, one of our five journalists that we sent to Berlin to discuss what she saw when she was able to lift the veil of the World Health Summit and the World Health Organization. Take a listen. Joining me now is my friend and colleague, Drea Humphrey, and she's fresh off the World Health Summit in Berlin. Drea went directly into the belly of the beast where all the mad decision makers who have been giving politicians advice to control our lives and control our relationships over the last two and a half years, she was there with them. Dre, I want to ask you, first of all, were they cloaked up? Were they in their like mad scientist suits with their goggles and their masks and all those things that the hypochondriacs wore at the beginning of the pandemic? Were they like that or are they also over this too? You know, I think that's one of the things that stood out to me the most while I was there. Like you said, we were in the belly. We were engaging with the lockdowners and their supporters. And one of the things I noticed that a lot of them understand the same things that we do over the last few years. One person I spoke to with public health at this moment, I won't name who, um, came out and was like, I'm so tired of hearing this, like these these sessions, these things like that. And, uh, you know, when I asked what do you think about like Bill Gates and things like that? Her response was, well, you know, it's all just part of the new world order. So <laughs> I mean, that's conspiracy theory talk, is it not? But that's exactly how they're framing the last two years up at these sessions. So um, yeah, I, they certainly seem, some of them, of course, are still spouting the same uh, sentences we've heard for the last two years, but I think the bulk of it are moving on. And I think trying to move up with the next chapter in the world. So what do you think the next chapter is? Well, am I allowed to talk about that? <laughs> um, you know, obviously it's the push to globalize everything, globalize health, globalize crises, and then the power that comes with doing that. Who, if we globalize everything, who then decides the de to, who then has the power to make the decisions, right? So I think we're pushing into sort of a power struggle of who is in power. Yeah, I think we're also 
at the, and I hate to use the language of the left, but the intersection of a couple of different ideas. And I think they're converging directly on each other. Mm -hmm. So in the before times, the big global scare was the climate scare, right? Like that was the thing that was going to control the size of your car and how far you were allowed to leave from your house and what food you were going to eat and whether or not you had to telecommute to your job or actually get in a vehicle. And that was the emergency, except unfortunately that emergency wasn't happening fast enough mm-hmm. for the power hungry oligarchs of the world. Yeah. And along came COVID. Now I think we're going to see uh, climate change recast as a public health emergency. So we're going to take mm-hmm. the things we learned from COVID right. and the tactics that they perfected with climate change and couple the two together where you're mm-hmm. going to see like the the public health crisis mm-hmm. of, I guess, warmer weather in October for Albertans. I think that's where we're going next. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And the way that sweeping new powers were able to be used under those crises. So if the plan isn't broke, why try to fix it? And I, I agree that that's kind of where we're going. But I also think that people largely have had enough. So I don't think it's going to fly over quite as easily as it did during life with COVID-19. Yeah. It's like people who live in a constant state of fear, they Mm -hmm. wear out their adrenal glands and they just quit working. And I feel like a lot of people who are maybe even like COVID true believers at the beginning of this, their, their COVID adrenal glands, their like public health emergency adrenal glands, they're gone. They left the building and they're just sort of over it. And there's a lot of people coming around to that saying hindsight's 2020. I thought this was bad at the beginning. I think even some of us are like that. Mm-hmm. This is bad at the beginning. China lies about everything. Why weren't they, why wouldn't they lie about this? It's probably way more serious than China's letting on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people now, and I think it's incumbent on us to show those people some grace mm-hmm. um, and to not Absolutely. say, you know, you were you were a true believer and then all of a sudden you come around to my way of thinking, you know, that's why mm-hmm. we talk to those people. That's why we do the work that we do is not to talk to like, not to preach to the choir, but to convert the unconverted. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I have that grace because I was one of those people. I was absolutely terrified. You can ask my family. I mean, they thought I was so crazy because I was saying, Hey, we got to wear N95s in January. And then I went like, no, actually we don't. And they were like, I can't keep up with you. But you talk about the fatigue of sort of falling in, in line with, uh, I would say crisis worshiping. Um, I was cleaning my groceries and, and sort of having like spreading out my island. So you have the dirty groceries and then cleaning them and stretch, uh, putting them over. And then at one point I'm like, you know what, I'd rather just die than keep doing this. (laughs) So, I mean, my, my span of how long I could keep up with that was very short and people are coming around. I get a lot of, oh, you were right or things like that. But I think you're right. The key is not to say you were right. It's we are human. And there's different examples in history where um, things like this have happened, you know, where propaganda has changed the culture, changed the morality of the people. And it takes some time and it takes a small group of persistent people to continue to shed light on that. And then eventually the silent majority says enough is enough. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, getting back to your trip to Berlin, excuse me, you went to a protest. There were counter protesters there protesting the World Health Summit. Tell us about that. 
Well, it was really interesting um, to be somewhere else and see the protests that are for freedom. What was happening here was there was almost like little pop-up groups of protests happening every day um, around the summit and, you know, some uh, a little further away as well. And they were all against uh, the globalist big pharma pushing event that was happening at the World Health Summit and for different reasons. The first night we came there, there were some who were really against uh, Tedros Adhanom being part of the World Health Organization and up there like some sort of prize at the summit. And so I believe my colleague Tamara Ulini covered that. The next protest that we covered was a group from a small grassroots um, political party that's formed called Devices. And they were basically there to educate the public about the pandemic treaty, which we have also informed people at, at nopandemictreaty.com. And they were just talking about, you know, if these oligarchs, uh, you know, often with no medical degree, like, um, come up with these rules and can control what a pandemic is and what the action is, then they really truly will be the ultimate lockdowner. So it was really interesting uh, during that just to talk to the people who actually were just walking by and reading it. And, and I felt like there was a difference between at least the protest I cover uh, when people are walking by. It, there didn't seem to be that wall where um, there's no interest in engaging to find out what are these people upset about. I feel like if if you're walking so, by a protest uh, for freedom in Vancouver, anyways, most people are just going to keep walking. But no, people took the time to stop and listen and also be interviewed. Um, and then the crazy night, um, Guillaume, who was <laughs> supposed to be there to, uh, you know, record on camera what was happening. And that protest, or I should say protest was fascinating in the sense that you had, uh, you know, both people from the left and from the right standing there protesting the same group together. Now, uh, we had found our way to be inside of the conference despite not being accredited. So I saw it from the inside. Um, but Guillaume was right out there and got full coverage about what they had to say. And Again, I just can't point out the difference of when I go and cover some climate alarmist protests and I ask questions respectively, there's just no answer. Um, and sometimes there's pushing and insults or whatever. But, right. you know, these people, uh, they did articulate themselves, which is something that is refreshing, whether you agree with people or not. You know, I think that's an interesting point to make because they didn't know if you were on their side or not on their side or whatever, but they were just willing to actively engage with you and talk about their issue, which is something we don't often see from the Canadian left. They don't want to talk to you. And I'm not sure if it's because their ideas can't stand up to scrutiny, like the mm -hmm. even the simplest of questions. But it's interesting that you note that we're seeing some of the same things in the European protests that we see here in Canada, mm -hmm. for example, when you go to these protests, you encounter people who are like what right and left and the it's the left wing granola Birkenstocks, crystals cure cancer crowd and the uh, right wing uh, leave me alone, get off my lawn crowd. And they are usually would cross the street to get away from each other. Mm -hmm. But you find them at the same protest because at the end of the day, they believe that they have the right to determine what goes into their body. And I think that's the unifying thing in the opposition to these lockdowns and COVID uh, vaccine mandates is that it's creating strange bedfellows. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. in Alberta, 
we finally have a premier who understands that the parade is marching, just jump in front of it, lead it to victory. Um, I'm just curious why no other politicians in the country have figured that out yet. Well, that's a good question. And yes, uh, it's great to see uh, Danielle Smith doing her job. (laughs) Um, So hopefully that spreads on. But um, I I can't speak for why Canadian politicians um, were so silent for so many reasons. And even now, I feel like they're Even the Conservatives, I will say, they're talking about certain issues, but they're still um, not really getting there. Like we're seeing in the um, certain members of the European Parliament speak out. I mean, I I touched on that in one of the reports and they are going hard uh, at the contracts that were signed between Pfizer and Europe and saying, we want our money back. We were sold fraudulent vaccines. Here's why. What do you have to say about it? And the responses that are coming out of that COVID committee are not good. They're just like, oh, yeah, well, we don't have one that starts transmission. We're working on it. And, you know, like, so, I mean, meanwhile, in Canada, we're still pretending at large that these jabs are effective. So, yeah. yeah, you know, that's a very interesting point. In Europe, where they uh, normally we look at them and say, oh, they're so progressive there. They're just, they're lost. They're liberals. They're just lost. But they're really pushing back on these big pharma companies mm-hmm. and saying, not only did you sell us something that didn't work, but you took our money and you harmed our citizens. They're really mm-hmm. talking about the harm done by yeah. these experimental vaccines. And in Canada, we continue to approve these things for babies. And they're still saying, you know, like get on the vaccine roller coaster, get your punch card checked every 30 days, you get a free sub at the end or whatever. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. crazy how they are versus where we are. It's like they're, they really want to unpack Mm -hmm. the lies of the big pharma industry. And in Canada, we're just so beholden to it. And I think it's because, the politicians don't want to admit that they were wrong. They don't want to admit yeah. the role they played in harming people, like damaging people's health, especially yeah. young men. Exactly. Well, I think that's part of the issue, not even just with politicians. I think that's the issue across the board is that it's hard to admit that you were wrong. Nobody wants to do it. And so some people are just staying on the team that they chose and, and hoping it rides out and that things still somehow fall back to some sense of normality eventually. So it, tell me, we still have videos left to come out from mm-hmm. Berlin. Mm-hmm. I think we've got some explosive stuff there. We're just sort of keeping it back a little bit yeah. because we have to lawyer it a little bit. Um, but uh, while you were there, what was, if you could pick one thing that really sort of surprised you about the World Health Summit? Well, I think, oh, let me think here for a sec. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to such a, like a non-important thing in my mind and I'm trying to push it out. So I'll just say it. The food was disgusting. <laughs> in Germany? It, no, the food in Germany was amazing. But like you said, we got into the belly. We were rubbing shoulders with the globalists. We were eating the food that they were really? were served the entire time during the summit. And it wasn't crickets, thankfully. Um but it tasted like crickets. It was, it was so, um, you know, Ed from UK, my colleague, we'd be like, oh, this looks good. And we'd go to eat it. And we're like, like, it's so bad. And none of them were making the same faces we were. So I don't know, that is certainly not um, the most important takeaway. But I just thought you have people here in 
like $4,000 suits. They're wearing Rolexes. Like, you know, they're coming in. The mayor of Berlin, you know, I thought for sure she must be some sort of president. And she got out of the car. She had so many security vehicles escorting her into there. And they're eating just disgusting food. <laughs> but really, I think the main takeaway was really um, that the rebels and everybody who got behind this important journalistic mission by helping us get there and continue to help us afford to not go in the hole from the project by donating at uh, rebelwho.com. It really paid off. We were not accredited. No surprise. I'm sure they look into us, see what we're going to talk about. And they they claim that this is a publicized event. You can watch some of their uh, discussions on Zoom. Yet they shut down Canada's largest independent media from coming there to being your eyes and ears so we can ask tough questions, of course. And yet we found a way to get in there anyways. And like you said, there's more to come from that. A lot of jaw dropping information that I know you guys are going to want to hear. But I think the lesson here is that, you know, we are so tired. We are committed to bringing you guys the other side of the story. And we're so tired of the people are trying to hide it that we will go to limits to find it. So um, yeah, so thank you for being behind that. And I think that's the main takeaway from this mission. Yeah, you guys were pretty industrious how you got into that conference. (laughs) And uh, it it is really important that uh, this was an expensive trip. We sent, you know, five people to Berlin. We didn't stay in in an expensive place. It was an Airbnb. And now we're incurring all these legal expenses after the fact to make sure that you guys don't end up in a Berlin jail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) After the fact. Um, But, uh, you know, you you said something that's really fascinating there. Even Ed from the UK thought the food was gross. It shocks <laughs> me because if I were to pick a more bland food on the face of the earth, it would be British food. And if he thought it was boring, I mean, it was that's bad. saying something. I think they're conditioning the palates of people and there was crickets in that. I, I can't come up. Everything <laughs> looked amazing and it was so bad, but uh, whatever. <laughs> it was prefab goo. Again, yeah. <laughs> again. <laughs> before I let you go, Drea, thanks so much for the good work that you guys did over there. You guys were working tirelessly. Like we were, doing our best to stay in communication with you and, and, you know, getting up in the night to to talk to you guys during your early morning while you were there. And you guys were working every day from early morning till like midnight, at least every night, because uh, this is, I think is the first real time that a skeptical, anybody, a skeptical journalist, just a skeptic in general has taken a peek behind the curtain of one of these globalist health summits. And that's why I think your work there was so important. One last time, how can people find your work? Head to rebelwho.com. You'll find all the stories that we've already put up related to the World Health Summit 2022. And check back regularly because as soon as we get the green light, we're going to be putting some really powerful stuff there. Explosive stuff. I've mm-hmm. seen it. I, I can't wait for the world to see it as long as you guys stay out of trouble, (laughs) which is the important thing. Drea, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Sheila. Bye, everyone. Well, friends, we've come to the portion of the show where we invite your viewer feedback. Unlike the mainstream media, we are not content to just produce content, and then never pull the audience about what they think about the work that we're doing. That's why I give out my email address. It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. Put gun show letters as the subject line so that I can find it easily because as you can well assume, I get hundreds of emails a day. 
and it makes it easy for me to search to find yours. If you've got a comment about one of the shows here that you see at Rebel News. Now, I also sometimes go over to Rumble. I try to avoid the censorship platform of YouTube, but I'll go to Rumble and I'll take the comments from there. And instead of commenting on my own work today, I would like to read comments from, I think, the biggest story in the Western world that Rebel News reporter Celine Gallus broke over the weekend. You see, over the weekend, it was the United Conservative Annual General Meeting, just outside of Edmonton, actually, at the Enoch Cree First Nation. The chief there, Billy Moore, and he's a very good conservative. He was actually on new Premier Daniel Smith's transition team. And new Premier Daniel Smith did something I've never seen before. And it's, as I said, the first in the Western world. Take a look at this clip. Hi, Ms. Smith. Celine Gallis from Rebel News. During your campaign, you said that not only would you issue an apology to those prosecuted during COVID restrictions, but you would also grant them amnesty. When can we expect those apologies? Um, I can apologize right now. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply sorry for anyone who was inappropriately subjected to um, discrimination as a result of their vaccine status. I'm deeply sorry for any government employee that was fired from their job because of their vaccine status. And I welcome them back if they want to come back. As for the amnesty, I have to get some legal advice on that. Um, and so I've already asked my staff to, um, to, to request that advice so I can see how we would be able to proceed on that. My view has been that these were um, political decisions that were made. And so I think that they can be political decisions to offer a reversal. But I, I do want to get some, some legal advice on that first. Would that also have to do with the timeline for the proposed amnesties? Um, I, I, I would have to see, you know, if I can, if I can do it, I will do it at the earliest opportunity. So I'm, I'm hoping within the next, within the next week, I'll get that legal advice. Thank you. Thank you. So obviously, folks had lots to say about Alberta's new premier apologizing for the wrongs committed by her predecessor, Jason Kenney. Let's be clear, Danielle Smith. She wasn't responsible for any of the COVID discrimination. In fact, she quit her job in radio because she wasn't allowed to talk about COVID or COVID discrimination. And she apologized and invited people back to work. So let's go to the Rumble comments and see what you guys had to say. Sean Gadar writes, well, as Alberta turns the corner and admits that people were wronged, I hope we can at least count on the fair-mindedness of the Canadian people to push this along, even as some members of government try to continue the power grift known as lockdown persecutions. Yes, that's one thing that Daniel Smith has committed to investigating, and she gave a pretty tight timeline uh, seeking legal advice about how best to offer amnesty to people slapped with fines, charges, and administrative penalties for just trying to live their lives during the time of COVID. Let's keep going. Aquitas 2090 writes, it's far more than huge for provincial premier Daniel Smith to apologize without hesitation, with real sincerity, doing so publicly. is very rare for a politician, in fact, never done before that I'm aware of. Then, and this is what makes it more than huge, to commit to an action that corrects the error, even though it was not an error she caused, that is called recompense as defined by God. This means her apology was real, moral, and righteous because she completed the apology with a correction of the error. 
It's true. You could tell the sincerity in her apology. She deeply is sorry for the harm inflicted on so many people by, as I say, her predecessor, Jason Kenney. And it's one of the many, many reasons he's gone, but I think it is probably the most important one. One last comment, guys. From Spinoza says, I just might have to move to Alberta, Ontario trending in the wrong direction. Respect for Danielle Smith. You know, there's a campaign out there. It's called Alberta is Calling, where we invite our fellow Canadians to this refuge of freedom that we're reclaiming, known as Alberta. Economic prosperity is on the uptick. The oil patch is doing its best to boom again. Cost of living is lower than many places in this country. And most importantly, we're doing our best to be free and we have a government so far that acknowledges the value of freedom. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bearing with me as I power through a cold. I'll see everybody back here in the same time in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>